to a brand new podcast called Under the Rhythm. My name's Ben Malone. I'm going to be the host of the series and uh, I wanted to make this podcast just to go a little bit deeper into what it takes to be a dance music producer or artist in 2020 and also to speak to some friends and talent that I work with regularly uh, about their musical journeys and their experiences to date. Each week I'll be pairing up two or more DJs, producers or musical artists that work in the dance music sphere and I'll be doing my best to facilitate an interesting and free-flowing conversation between all parties, sharing experiences, knowledge, and hopefully some tips as well if you're an upcoming artist or producer yourself. Now, we started this series during lockdown, which of course meant it was somewhat harder to record these, so we had to record them over Zoom, but I hope you'll find the discussions that we had interesting. Uh, I certainly did. So, for this first episode, I'm really excited to bring you Tough Love and Topia, both production duos from the UK, both with some incredible music under their belts, and I'm sure some really interesting insights into their worlds. So without further ado, let's crack on. Welcome to Under the Rhythm. We're going to get to know you both <laughs> in your duos uh, by starting off with, uh, not a round because it's not a quiz, but um, a bit called Crate Diggers. So I've asked you uh, both duos to pick three tracks that are in some way important to their musical journey, whether that's it's the first record of their own that they signed or the first dance music track you ever heard or whatever. Um, so, shall we start with the Tough Love Boys? You've got three tracks for us. Ladies first. first. I think is the rule. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this, mate, this is probably one of the hardest questions people ask. Let's do it in chronological order. Right, so old, oldest record, one yeah, of the yeah, first yeah. records. I'd probably have to go back to like, probably Jungle Times, like back to Class. early 90s. Early 90s probably, I'd say like, tracks like Lighter, Chopper, them kind of, them kind of records there were the first kind of, yeah. I'd say uh, that's my earliest memories. More acid, acid and jungle, probably my earliest memories. What's that? Were you going out then and hearing those? Were you, were you playing them? Back? No, it was more kind of rate pirate radio. Like, Class. started DJing at thirteen, so yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <When> it, <sick. laughs> I did sneak, sneak out at fourteen, fifteen though. So, yeah. when did you do your first like gig? When did you do your first set? First gig was in um, Park Royal in um, London. I was, I think I was 16, 17. And I think my second gig was in the same venue and it was after EZ. <laughs> not, not bad warm up, not bad warm up for you. Not bad, not bad oh, warm up. Right, yeah. Yeah. He doesn't mess about Steph, boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Don't All go right. back to back with him. You just get smashed. <laughs> <laughs> With the tigers. It's like that. I'm a clanging stuff. I'll sort you out, son. Oh. <laughs> Cheers, Chris. Keep it going. I like you, mate. I'm an e-joke. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so I guess we can group that kind of jungle kind of rave sound as your your first yeah. selection uh what's the second track in your musical journey then mine would be 
Mm, it's tough, but it was probably my first, yeah. what would it have been first, first trip to Ibiza was back in 99, which was like a massive year for house music. So I remember like one of the big tunes I heard that year was like Derek May, Innovator. Um, <laughs> rhythm is Rhythm. That was, that, that was probably like mm. one of the biggest rec- first records I heard. And I was like, hang on, what, what is this? Because I was going over there underage, not really having any expectations or, or even understanding it. And um, I think I, I remember buying back in those days, like pure R&B and stuff like that. And I remember <laughs> leaving the season with like with all the cream CDs and like all the brand new Amnesia and Manumission CDs and stuff. Even the bootleg ones you were buying off the guys on the beach because you couldn't Class. afford them. And um, yeah, I met like, I used to go to Sunset Strip for like dinner and drinks and then Roger would be doing like a three hour warm up set and then I'd go and watch him do like a six hour set in El Divino. And I remember leaving that summer in 99 thinking three things like one, I want to be a DJ, two, when's my beard going to grow like Roger Sanchez? He looked like a bit like Adam Lee at the time. <laughs> Hope he doesn't like me saying that. And three, where do I get one of those Kangol cats from? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> but yeah, that, that, was, that was probably the track of the summer and probably like a big life-changing experience for me. Did you not buy one of them Kangol hats from the guy on the beach with alongside your CD? <laughs> Couldn't afford it, mate. <laughs> <laughs> your haggling skill's not good enough then. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that, that set everything up. And like house like absolutely blew after that. Because you, you kind of, when I think back and I can compare 99 and you go back in 2000, and they, I think it was 2000 you had like, Groovejet and um, oh, trying to think what else like Superman Lovers that would have been like same year and there was just like it absolutely exploded then but more on a commercial level you were starting to hear it on a radio rather than just in the clubs but yeah probably Derek May Innovator sick nice mate and then these boys these boys know their stuff don't they they've been around for a few years haven't you (laughs) <laughs> back in right oh, don't mess <laughs> <laughs> um, alright then and then third and final track for that is you know significant to Tough Love or you guys as individuals so hard third oh, and final track one, something that broke us one of the ones that broke us <clears> so I, I would like... say I was looking at earlier on I would say probably it's like everything hurts one of them kind of or, or like Night is Calling these, these were kind of there was a little bubble yeah, keep it burning. There was a little bubble of records at one particular when we first came out, and we kind of we were relentlessly releasing, and we had we had a handful of records at that particular time that were getting great club play, great support from the likes of like Solomon, Mean Edge, and Dance stuff like that. And yeah, it, it was like it was that it was keep it burning. Probably one of them. Everything hurts, and probably Night Is Calling were, I'd say, the top three kind of yeah. got us got us into club land started to get us great rec- recognition in the clubs do you boys still play these tunes out in the sets and stuff not as not as often now definitely think the sound i think it's more the mix of the records nowadays is not as heavy uh, okay. yeah back then 2012 2013 the records just don't they don't sound as big against like current records so it's quite sure. hard like specific place and time do you reckon that's down to 
processing stuff, or do you reckon that's yeah. that, that is yeah? I think I think that was an it was a new sound. So obviously people were not. I don't think people were as technically good at making music back then either. They were musical, yeah. But so when it comes to the mix and master of records, there's definitely a lot muddier than, than yeah. the stuff that's being processed now. Yeah. Empty as well. Like yeah, you go back and then like the perp movement and the drum movement and like and you know, the mood was different. Great and really empty. So it's like it la- it lacks an energy when you play it against new records yeah. now. Mind yeah. you, we've done edits of some of them, probably not enough, but like keep it burning's got a couple edits Mate, we've done. Yeah, yeah, we've got that in our in our record box, and that does come out. And I, I find that suits some of the stuff that we've got. Do you know what I mean like? Yeah, and beat wise like go for now. Like that's why I wanted to ask: Is it the process, and do you think or? Or is it down to... Maybe, maybe it's access to sounds as well. Like, I think, obviously, sample packs are huge now. Such and every, a broad every, range Everything's processed. So, yeah. So, everything's... So, it's already mixed, most of the drums and the claps and everything. It's just... Yeah, everything just sounds bigger. Yeah. It's still the same guys making... Like, in our scene, anyway, that are still around now, as was coming through then. Yeah. Like, like those records were on like nervous and off and yeah. it's the same UK guys on those labels or even London guys on those labels that are still going. Like I can still going, had a resurgence, yeah. left wing Cody, mm. exactly the same. Yeah. Kind of, and their sounds have all moved and progressed with the scene as well. Yeah. That's something I want to touch on a little bit, so we may as well do it now. <laughs> Obviously <laughs> sounds your own sounds have changed over over, you know, your careers. Do you think, yeah. is that something that you've done consciously or is it just like happened? I think a lot of the time it just happens. Like it's a funny one. Today I was literally crate digging before this because we've got to do a mix for Tool Room coming up. And part of it is like using some of their catalogue. And I literally went through from like 08 till now. And you can hear the progression and sound in everyone though. It's not. It's not always forced. It's just people start using more vocals or like you, you have like one track that breaks the mold and it opens up like a new subgenre. And then um, mm. I think you definitely had that in like, when we were started doing tough love, it was probably more on the new disco tip, I'd say yeah. to start with. And then you had like organ house started coming back around and you had the birth of like the deep house era and like 2011, 2012 and then hot creation started taking over. And then you had labels like, culprit and get physical and cross town all started having like really big impact and shaping the scene and the sounds and and then yeah i just think like certain records for me that i think of then that just shift everything like um the danny days and louisa track shifted Mm. the scene a lot i think the return of mk then shifted it again in another direction and i mean I think everyone's changed. Like you can't compare Solomon's sound of like something we all adore and st- stuff like that to what he's putting up now. It's just they're worlds yeah. apart. Same with Madonna and guys like that. I think our personal sound uh, as Tough Love though shifted from I would say more more of a club orientated sound into a more commercial sound when we signed our major deal. Um, obviously, we was opened up to a completely new market. Um, and you weren't just but, kind of, you weren't making music for 18 plus anymore. You was trying to it like bring in the new kind of generation as well, the younger kids that are listening to dance music. And 
kind of we probably bent a little bit too far into that commercial world to satisfy the bigger market. So I to be honest, though, when we we started, obviously we got introduced to you from that end because yeah. being from Swansea, we were still in Swansea then, I believe. Yeah. We were, weren't we? And yeah. like the stuff that gets played down in Swansea is completely different to the stuff that we've, we've now been influenced over the years living yeah. in London. So it's mm. like for us, we come, that was we like go the, that we've was gone the other way. Yeah. You know, yeah. It was, it, yeah, we've gone the other way, like in terms of we've gone more underground. But the stuff yeah. that we were listening to, we weren't DJing then, but the stuff that we were going out, we were listening to, it was, you know, it was those yeah. tough love records that really introduced us to, uh, Chris, you'll agree, that when that came out, I was like, wow, this is sick. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I remember going, how did, that, how did that bass line go like that and then just have a different wobble towards the end of that bar? Like, there was so, loads of things, like, yeah. Know, it, massively it, influencing. It's just the audience, I suppose, isn't it? You yeah. know, that, that's being, it's being played too. Um, yeah. But yeah, like, you know, it's it was still a weapon. <laughs> we listen, that we track that was made for the club, was it? That, that, Which one? Is it in Tight? Yeah, yeah. yeah so, about, so that was like, that was probably one of the biggest records in our set in the clubs for easily two years. Yeah, like we, we, we didn't have any intention to release that. it. <laughs> we we was... didn't have any intention to release it. It was never, yeah. it was never like a record. We was like, yeah, this is a hit. But yeah. the reaction from the crowd every time we played it was, yeah, was amazing. It, it? Uh, yeah, it. and we and we we brought it to management and we brought it to people who was around us and they all kind of was like, nah. So I was like, listen, there's something in the record. Like you would know, and it because you're playing yeah, out yeah, and seeing it, yeah. Yeah, and then eventually um, we ended up just clearing a sample and doing it ourselves, and then Annie Mac played it, and that was it. Hang it in. kind of flew from then, and, and all the yeah. labels that turned us down came back and was like, "Yeah, we'll sign it." Classic. Is that the one? Love you that. Know, Love that. No, <laughs> more money. No, because <laughs> no, you were fully like club making tunes then, yeah. and then like you <laughs> said, that obviously you bent the root, bent a bit to go and please people. That track wasn't to please people, was it? That you no, just no, no, no. I mean, that's I mean, the after, one that after bridged that, you. After, yeah, after that's that commercial thinking, success, yeah. I think that's when we we bent our sound a little bit, probably yeah. too far. Yeah, and that, that, that was just made as a collection of records because you got to think yeah. back there was that there was Lonely Highway, which mm. we self-produced as well, yeah. which was getting loads. I think back then we didn't really realize route to market on a lot of stuff. No, yeah. like I, I remember Lonely High. I remember our manager at the time um, telling us, "Oh, you know, Lo- Lonely Highway's getting like daytime play on one extra like every day this week," and it meant mm. absolutely nothing to us. Like we we were just That's so focused bad. on play, playing in the tunnels in Crucifix Lane and stuff like that. <laughs> that we did. It, it meant nothing. It meant literally nothing. So it yeah. was it was a big learning curve that sort of first year or 18 months class what a first year or 18 months to have <laughs> not a bad start was it not a bad start Tripopia boys let's move over to you guys then uh track number one that had a particular influence or impact on on you guys as individuals or as a you know a duo um i i obviously didn't i'm just thinking in my head straight off the top of my head if it's going back to like the first dance tunes that I was hearing and, and getting influenced. I remember my brother having the Prodigy album, mm. uh, my older brother that is, and um, two six by nines in the back of an RS Turbo, Ashley's in a high chair next to me, <laughs> I'm just out of a high chair, and it's just like, 
you know, f- there's so many tunes just banging into my head now, but like <laughs> Out of Space, the, the one that really sticks out that no one really, whenever I say this tune is like massive, there's a tune like three kilos, and it's bam, 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 and it's just fucking the cool as fuck tune, like, <laughs> and you wouldn't have expected them to do it because they were all like in your face. And, you, you know, if it's like six o'clock in the morning and you're just like on the decks and you just want to fuck people up, just drop that tune. People are like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> so that, oh. was, that was still in the record box, then, is it? Yeah, 100%. That one <laughs> doesn't come out very much, but I'm just like... Right, <laughs> when the moment's right. right. right time to that. To that. <laughs> you don't last till six o'clock, Chris. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're getting me and ass mixed up, Steph. <laughs> 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 Ashley sleep yeah what about I'm you always carrying them on. you are what about you it's, it's a hard one again you know there's so many good tunes in there do you know what I mean yeah. and, and like Chris I didn't even think of the Prodigy but of course I, that influenced me in terms of the stuff I was liking but you know growing up I was more into my like Limp Bizkit and stuff like that so it's like mm. completely opposite spectrums in terms of where I'm at now from where I was back then. Don't get me wrong, I still... But there's a lot of people started in that sort of rock, uh, indie Definitely. kind of like... That was that was where I... First, that's why there's the guitars on the walls. That was kind of the music hey, hey, that hey. I, I liked. Guns and Roses. Then. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, that's, yeah, same. that's where a lot of people start. And I don't know if that's something to do with a lot of that music is quite heavy or it's got a strong mm. beat in it and that kind of translates... It was part of a culture back then, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, like, for sure. You, you, you were the same as me, Ash. Like you were into your like skateboarding and stuff like that. So yeah, it was, like, exactly. Jeans, yeah. t-shirt, red yeah. cap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, rolling like definitely. But if we're talking about dance music, yeah, you know, I'm talking about you know that stuff. But that's the stuff I grew up on, yeah. and that I was listening to like day in day out. But when we started going like uh, say clubbing and things like that, I was always going in on Christian's ID. So he'd go in <laughs> first and I'd have like, because I'm a few years younger, I'd just be like, I'll wait like 20 minutes and then go in on his ID. And I so was young as hell for my age. Like it was ridiculous. Hey, it was they, like, they just looked at me stupid and then just went crack on. I was like, happy days. Because <laughs> in Swansea, they didn't, you know, it's laxy days. You don't really care. But yeah. Um, but yeah, so we were going out and it was like, I think it was, like Dave Spoon and stuff like that. I think that track went out bum, 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 on Tool bum, bum, Room. Bum, bum, yeah, that one. Bum, 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 so yeah. he already knows because we were there. We were like, that's, nice. that's a hell of a pickup. That was our first one. We'd all, we were those guys going, just play that fucking thing again, man. <laughs> <laughs> Turn that like, Rihanna like, shit off and just play that tune again, mate. Seeing it transform a room, though, was my first kind of experience towards that kind of, that culture. And then I yeah. was like, I'm not saying I wanted to be a DJ because it, t- it took me a few years to be able to, to start thinking about DJing and things like that. But really falling in love with dance music. Yeah. And on in, uh, that's what I'd say. Like, you know, that's hell of a, show, a bit less Limp Bizkit is a little bit more, <laughs> more mm. shat- well, not Shadow Joe, Dave Spoon as he was. Yeah. But, it was yeah. Escape then. Escape in Swansea, wasn't it? That was. That's it. So this yeah. is going to be my, my next question. Your kind of early clubbing, clubbing years. You, obviously, yeah. you boys both in Swansea. What what was the scene like? What was your kind of like first real exposure to a proper club? As, as soon as Ashley turned eighteen and he was actually happy days to get in in a club, that escape <laughs> shut down. <laughs> yeah. and, and I, I swear to God, we didn't last in Swansea that long after 
we were like, uh, right, we need to get to London and we need to get into the clubs and, and the raving <laughs> up there. That, yeah, that is exactly. Actually, it was. It was actually when we moved to London. It was really like it was the sound of dubstep. Yeah. So it was oh, like okay. we yeah. didn't I think absolutely love it, but there was a yeah. yeah. We used to go down Brick Lane and things like that. You get like, some ninety-three feet used to do some parties, yeah. house parties. I remember. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Classic um, people and things like that were still open then. And that they, just they were, shut down when we first moved. That was like open for a few months and then it shut down. Like that's when we first kind of came to London. So it was that kind of sound, wasn't it, Chris? Would you agree? Yeah, like dubstep. dubstep. But yeah. I'd say in that. There was a really good club in Swansea called Monkey Bar, and they were having yeah. people like Jack Wobb, you know, um, James, James Jacob now, but Jack Wobb was coming down. And like, I, I used to like that kind of sound, and like Scream and Benga when they were doing yes. that kind of that vibe as well. It was like dirty, it was nice, but yeah, we just just loved house music, really. We didn't really want to start making house, that. House idea. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry, mate. I just went on a tangent then. No, no, no. no, no. That's, <laughs> no. that's what we want. That's what we want. Um, tough love, boys. Kind of what were your... Yeah, where, where did you both grow up? Sorry. And what was your like, early clubbing experiences? Go on, Al. Um, well, I, I grew up in Sussex, but early on, I was, I was just playing sport, to be honest. I was playing rugby, but we used to go out underage from like the age of 14. Um, it wasn't really to a club or like, to, it was to a club, it wasn't to see a DJ. It was just like, where can we get in? Where can we drink? Where can we get in some trouble and get away with it, basically? <laughs> um, and it was, nor- it was normally up, up in London after like playing rugby at the weekend. And then I think... Inf- I Infernos actually- then, was that, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like Crazy Larry and stuff like that. And then... Um, that, that was where changed. Tough Love was born. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, was, that was changed in when I was like 14, 15. So I, I was lucky. We used to go to Ibiza for like six weeks every summer. Okay, um, right. And so I, I used to be out in the club like every week from, from the age of 14. And, and that's what changed everything. And then I remember coming back and I just wasn't interested in the same stuff back in the UK. So I started going out to like the Zap and stuff like that in Brighton. Um, and that was way more electronic and then that, that was like the start of it and the birth of it for me and then I probably started focusing on like rugby and going to university and that like everything else kind of took a back seat um, until I left uni and then start, started again like everything started again and it was weird because me and Steph went to the same uni but like, like we never crossed paths or anything like that so how did you guys meet people in it <laughs> yeah. He's part, he part of the rugby team, wasn't he? <laughs> oh, yeah. Drinking piss. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I grew up in West London, Shepherd's Bush. Um, plenty of clubs around here. Hammersmith Palais, Ealing Boulevard, uh, Zeniths in Park Royal. Um, I was out clubbing from young, say 14. You just reminded me earlier on when you said about the ID, Ash. I used to... Um, I said, make fake birth certificates and sell them. Because <laughs> <laughs> we was allowed to, um, we was allowed to, obviously ID cards weren't big at the time. So we was allowed to use birth certificates. And oh, I remember I used to, to tea stain paper and then print them for a printer and then write oh, in every, people's stuff in the schools and sell them for like a fiver. And, um, yeah, Amazing. And into, yeah, so we used to get into... Um, a few of the local clubs. I'd say Boulevard was probably 
Elon Boulevard was the one we we went to most of the time. Um, mainly because, I, have you guys heard of Mac, uh, Mac FM and Ice FM? They were probably the biggest pirate stations around at the time. Um, they broadcasted out of West London, so the likes of EZ and Tough Enough Brown and like um, Ray Hurley and these kind of guys would be spinning on them every week. And then all the MCs as well, you'd get CKP, PSG. Um, and basically, yeah, wherever they were, I suppose we wanted to try and, and go to them kind of places. They were the first sort of DJs that I suppose this particular area looked up to. It was quite a quite a big pirate culture around here. So m- most of us would try and follow them around, obviously, London that and stuff. Is- of like... Todd and uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Where was that? Was that Uber and Stratford? That was, no, that so that was the first four four that EZ had done New Year's Day. I think that was one of the first New Year's Day parties you knew about, and that was in um, Time and Envy in Romford. Uh, and basically, yeah, that that was what was that? That was early two thousands. Yeah, but obviously I was DJing at the time as well. So I was DJing at the time, so I wanted to try and move around and see the clubs and try and get resident work and in and out of the venues and, and just be around it and listen Amazing. to all the new tunes because most of obviously commercial radio weren't playing garage music wasn't playing house music it was still very pirate based so the only way you could either hear it was on pirate radio which got shut down quite often and in the nightclubs so i suppose it was part of the culture you had to be in there you had to be amongst it to to see what people were playing what year didn't did norman turn kissed into like a legitimate station it's early th- 2000s, I think. Early 2000s. I'm sure it was early 2000s, wasn't it? Because it was Norman J and... I should probably know. I should probably know when it became legit, but... Uh, I think... I think we won't talk about that. that. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> just, I was just like, oh. <laughs> Just overdubbing it. Just When you get off the mic, just be like, yeah, so, uh, yeah, Kiss was uh, originated back in the uh, early 90s. <laughs> All right, should we jump in with the next section? Um, this one is kind of broadly on the topic of the creative process. And I don't want to get into like details about doors and plugins and stuff because there's a time and a place for that and it's not now. Uh, but <laughs> what I want to talk about is more kind of like how do you approach making a new track uh, or just kind of in general your music. Um, so yeah, start with the Trutopia boys. Kind of how would you kick off a track or a day in the studio? Um definitely have first go we christen up <laughs> <laughs> takes about three hours to get out of bed <coughs> shower unless I'm by the beach I'll be straight down there oh six mm. in the morning come on then <laughs> nah um, yeah it definitely starts with a beat and a bass line and then Ash normally then will be like right yeah that's sounding tight let's try and get put a vocal on it um, that's pretty much pretty much how we roll every every time. But then there, there are times where Ash will send me like a you know a mint chop like the choppy chords in you know, like got the love bam 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 bam. bam. Ash sent me that with um, with the vocal going. I can't remember. I think we had like a little tribally vocal on it. I think at first, didn't we? Yeah, it wasn't that. Then, yeah, it wasn't that, that vocal in the end, was it? No, it wasn't uh, that. It was. We ended up having an original vocal on that, but that's kind of. Yeah, that was a that was a cool, fun one to make actually. So like, that one started like that. Yeah, it, uh, it varies really. Yeah. 
Uh, Jutobi Boys, your sister does some of the vocals on your on your yeah, stuff, Yeah, Got the Love actually was one of them. Um, Soul Heaven, another. More in the works. One, one that's coming on Stress Records in the next two months. Um, she's singing on that. It's like a full vocal. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Dancey. Yeah, she's, nice. she's, so she's actually got a big big background in jazz. She, she sung like in the Apollo down where you live. Hammersmith. Yeah, Hammersmith. Yeah. Um, Sick. You know, right. with like Tom Jones and stuff like that back in the day. So, yeah, okay. she's, she's, she's shit up, man. So if you need any vocals, boys. <laughs> got to sort of sister out, now. Get Absolutely. those pictures. <laughs> Absolutely. You've got to look after the family. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Um, and tough love boys, I guess. I mean, you guys obviously are in different locations at the moment. Is that have, uh, having an impact on how you work together? We're not making that much new stuff at the moment because yeah, yeah. These boys make us three tracks a week. Hundred tracks. <laughs> I've <laughs> seen, I've seen it. I've seen the demos. <laughs> oh, I've got about hundred tracks ready. Uh, let me just play you like three of them. <laughs> Why are you lying, like? Isn't it? Why are you lying? No, that's that, honestly. We spent back end of last year. We absolutely pounded the studio. Um, mm. So, like when lock lockdown came, it's been obviously I was moving out here, and then for Steph, he's got to juggle being a dad to two kids, and also being a school teacher now and everything else. So it's like we're in a fortunate position where. If other things come in, in like life-changing things like COVID, that we put the, the work in early, so it just like alleviates a little bit of stress. Mm. But at the moment, we're spending most of the time sort of working out what the, what the industry might look like when when all of this is done, and just placing our records. But we we do like normally work relentlessly in the studio. Um, like I have got. Uh, I vouch for that. Yeah, I've got a couple of ideas on the go now and I'm sure Steph's got a couple of ideas on the go there. And it would just be a question of, even when we're in the same country, it's the same thing. Like, we meet up two, three days a week in the studio, but we work on our, by ourselves before then and play each other the songs and whichever mm. ones are good get kept and we start working on them and the other ideas go in the bin most of the time because, you know, you can't, you can't work on everything. And recently it's been quite good going back to our old catalogue of like unfinished music and actually finishing it, which was yeah. quite productive sort of early this year. I don't oh. know if you want to add to that, Steph. Yeah, I think, I think um, us or all of you probably agree, but music people are a little bit crazy. Uh, they're, they're all, we've all got a few screws loose, definitely. And I think, oh yeah, I think <laughs> like, it's it's hard. Like yeah. you don't just start, you don't just start with beats. You just, <laughs> you don't just start with basses. It's very much like, a, a mad idea will come in your head or you'll hear a sound or a sample and you're like, yeah, I like that. And then bam, you just start playing with it in the system and then you're building it from there. Sometimes it'll be a bass line. Sometimes it'll be pianos. Like Chris said, sometimes it'll just be a sick drum loop that you've got and you're like, right, what works with that? And you just move between most of the time you spent finding the sounds, I suppose. Yeah, like and in, finding this in February, I was supposed to fly back for like 10 days. And I flew back on the Thursday. We, me and Steph had a gig in Manchester on a Saturday. And then we got in the studio on like Monday and Tuesday. And I was so jet-lagged. And we had quite a lot of work that we had to get done for labels. And I remember lying on the sofa in the studio. And it was only about five in the afternoon. And we must have finished about 
two or three tracks by then. We were way ahead. And I said to Steph, look, no more Tough Love tracks. Let's like make some hip hop or like <coughs> other stuff or go through Steph's old catalog. And I was basically falling asleep on the sofa. I was so knackered. <laughs> and Steph started playing with this like little um, like Arabian loop. And I was like, that's fucking cool. Quite like that, Steph. And I was thinking, yeah, he'd make that into something like hip hoppy and we'd tweak it. I came out of consciousness and there's this like thumping 4 4 and a rolling bass. This <laughs> thing. And I was like, couldn't help himself. Then that actually sounds quite good. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then it got signed like a week, a week later. So sometimes it's, there's no planning whatsoever. It's just mm. finding that unique sound and just messing about really and and when there's a vibe you just roll with it and when it's not there just don't force it thing and you mentioned you know tracks getting signed i want to talk just briefly about labels i guess kind of twofold firstly you all parties on this call you are all label owners you run your own labels right um get twisted for the tough love boys and ttry for utopia boys um let's let's talk about your own labels and then we'll talk about other labels kind of afterwards is it essential for kind of uh, artists to have their own label these days I don't, I don't think it's a like i don't think it's a make or break moment running running a label is hard work and i mm. think a lot of people from the outside think oh, i can do that and there are loads of labels out there but the amount of them that actually turn good profit and have any form of margin at the end of a fiscal year is tiny um, so I think you've got to look at it twofold like we started our label because we were making music that we felt was good and we can get it signed in the right homes and we had friends doing the same so we were like we need to create our own movement our own scene here that you know we're coming up I think we're nine years old now as Get Twisted or some, something like that like eight years old uh, and like we we this year's been a big year for the label. It's been a, f- a focal point back on the label. But that, that was a business decision that myself and Steph made at the back end of last year because it's hard when it's just two of us to focus on a business of turning out between 50 and 100 releases a year with, like let's say, like 70 different artists. And that all needs accounting. That all needs artwork and a good six-week run and slot and promotion. So I think... The, art, the answer is no, not every artist needs to do it, especially if they mm. don't have the capacity to do it because we've definitely found that sometimes it takes our focus away from just being tough love and just focusing on like making the best music we can. Um, so I think for us, it, it always requires planning. We need to get in a position where we're happy with our content to put out as an artist and then we can really focus on bringing people through I think until that it's a lot it's a lot more work than people think I think that's that's one of the key things and from the outside mm. art is just sending stuff to labels and they think it's just like there's a magic wand that gets done and then like every radio DJ you want is going to play it and every big club DJ is going to play it and it's going to be a hit like mm. there's so many factors that come into the record being successful or not. and an artist and a label can't control all of those I definitely think like uh, going back to where where Alex was saying where they started in terms of they wanted that like outlet for their sound because they felt that their sound needed to be used I think that's a really like energizing way to kind of i think that's why 
every label, from an artist's label should start. It's because they want to release the music that they're making, their feelings. It's working mm, in yeah. their sets. But perhaps they can't... Perhaps there are no labels really doing that specific sound. Like, I know with us, uh, we, we, we run a label with T. Williams and James Jacob. And we all kind of feel that we have that kind of sound that maybe not either not saying not everybody's on it yet but we just feel that we feel that that's a wicked sound and there yeah. aren't go-to labels yet that are putting that out so we're just a bit like well let's do it ourselves those boys are like veterans in the game they're wicked they know what they're doing all the back end stuff we've got loads of mates making really really good music in this kind of field Mm. it's a no-brainer and it's probably going back to what Alex said about that's why you should start something there shouldn't be any other prerogative to start a label me and Chris don't really want to run a business in terms of maybe the way Alex no. and Seth do in terms of like oh it's a business it's a business we kind of just want to be like we want to put out some good music you know and that's it yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean so. Yeah, for sure. And it's, I guess for a lot of labels that start out, it's a passion project originally, right? And then yeah. the business element comes later, if at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, he's nine years on, so that, that, you've got to start thinking about your pocket after nine years, really. Um, but yeah, we're not at that stage. We're just loving putting the music out that we're putting out. Mm. We've got some really cool tracks coming out this year. So yeah, we're, we're pleased to be a part of that, you know? And I guess then just talking about other labels you know you've all had or and do release records on a load of different labels how important has getting your music on the right labels been um it's a weird one i think we're coming to a time where it's going to be less important essentially. um <laughs> i think i think traditionally in in all music beyond just dance, there's always been labels which hold the keys, so to speak. And as with anything, like anything art and creative, you have like the ebbs and flows of like mm. what's in trend, what sounds in trend, and that means what, what labels in trend to be on. And yeah, like you can definitely unlock doors by, you know, signing to a certain label, especially if, if they believe in you and, and you become part of the family. I mean, for me instead, we never really fully committed to anyone outside of our major deals. Um, part because we haven't necessarily wanted to, and I think part just because it's just not where, not the path that we've sort of gone down to take. We, we always go with, let's make music that we want to make, and we're keeping mm. the rest of afterwards. Um, and I think our, our journey's probably not, not the same as a lot of other artists, to be honest. Like, we, we probably spent three or four years making underground music and we did a really big deal with Ireland and we sold Get Interested for Sony for three years and then mm. we were kind of in that world for a while until we stepped out of it which was only two years ago even though we worked with loads and loads of other labels I think it, it's, it, it depends on, on every artist will have their own story and it will be different obviously there are some artists that were signed to you know, whether it be like a defected or tool room or like a mousetrap or a night base or, or whoever, and they've become fully fledged part of that family and that will last in their career and they can become a touring act with, with those labels if they provide the touring. Mm. Um, but it's not the case with every label. It's, it, it's different. I don't know. 
I think ju- jumping in on jumping in on that, I think w- with regards to us, there's a lot of labels that we kind of went to and we really looked up to and we played their music for many years. And sometimes your expectations of the labels might be a bit too higher than what they can deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes as well, like me and me and Al are highly ambitious. So when we want to be a part of a family or if we want to be a part of a team, we kind of expect the same level of energy and the same level of kind of ambition as ourselves. And sometimes you don't get that from certain labels. Like you do want to be a part of a bigger thing. You, 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 it's nice to get the weight taken off of your own shoulders so we can focus on making music and, and, and trust in the label to release the music and do a good job of it. And sometimes we found the bigger labels haven't delivered as well as some of the smaller labels have. And, um, it's just, uh, it's just the way it goes sometimes. Like it's disappointing and sometimes it's amazing and, un- and unexpected because certain records just fly. And then the records mm. that you expect to do really well and the labels you expect to do really well, absolutely bomb. And you just think, Oh God, sometimes you can, yeah, it's roller coaster, yeah and, and sometimes you can yeah. lose a little bit of passion for it. I, I like me personally, I used to get really excited when the records were to come out. But now I kind yeah. of just get the records Chill. done with our, we get them released and I have no expectations because then I can't, I can't become disappointed and I just get excited yeah. if it's doing well and if yeah, it's doing well, great. But if it's not, then I'm not affected by it. We move on to the next record yeah. and, and the next release. Yeah. But um, certain labels do, they, they help massively when, when they're doing the, the right job. It just eases so much pressure on yourselves as an actor and an artist um, to then kind of focus on your own music and, and get it out again. I think there are a lot yeah. of like even what Ash said with like some things are a passion process <coughs> and some are businesses. Yeah. You'd be amazed which businesses don't operate like a business. And the attention to detail just simply isn't there. Mm. And from an artist perspective, I think that's the moment where me and Steph are like, take the options out of contract, we're never working with you again. Because <laughs> <laughs> Because but, but you, you put you put your, all your when look, when we're like 50, 60, 70 and, and we're having this con, like conversation from our Zimmer frames, people are going to remember you by your, by, your, by your body of work, right? That that's how you as an artist, that's how you're remembered. Like painters are remembered by how many paintings they did were, that are amazing. Artists are remembered by their body of work. Like yeah. that body of work never comes out or people it does come out and it's never heard or seen it's totally pointless so all those hours you've spent in the studio are irrelevant it doesn't it i think from my perspective and i think steph feels the same is we don't need everything to be a hit and we know that most things 99 percent of trance it won't be a hit it's more like will the label put their passion into it like, will they just make sure the basics are done? Just promote it the right way. Let us know what the timeline's going to be. Like, it, it would be really nice if you do some accounting at some point. Just like really, <laughs> really simple. Businessman back. <laughs> really simple. Yeah, exactly. You can tell he's the businessman of the group. <laughs> he is the businessman. Uh, for me and Chris, I think, because the way we've kind of. I don't know, structured then, if, if you want to say that, structured our releases and things like that and structured the, the labels we work with. We've kind of found homes that we really love and we're kind of like, we've looked at it as like, we'll work with the guys that we really love. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And, and they give it back like 
bringing us to New York to do the Nervous Brooklyn sessions. That right? looked yeah. amazing. That, that looked amazing. Uh, it was a, a one experience, isn't it, Chris? It was, it was incredible. But like, yeah, it that's, incredible. that's what incredible. we love. We love that they're passionate about us. So yeah. we keep obviously putting music out with them because they, they really do feel like a family to us, like Nervous. They're, they're great, you know, Andrew and yeah, Mike. Nervous are great. Absolute legends. Yeah. yeah. I know you boys, you're, you're really close with them as well. Well, yeah, you introduced yeah. us to them. How, so, how we got into how we got in with them was. I remember having that chat with you both early on when we went for like a coffee down Perky Blenders. Are you sure it was a coffee in other blenders? We were saying I remember saying to you like it's one of the good things about when you're starting out and what I've learned from doing it a few times over is just like if you can be consistent with your music and who you are and your sound and you find a label that will deliver for you and you can deliver for them, you'll become part of the family. And then when people go That's looking it, yeah. for you as an act, they know where to look for you. Yeah, I think yeah that, exactly. That a really great thing. A hundred percent. And it's the same, it's the same we found with Strictly Rhythm as well. They, they treat mm. us amazing. Um, you know, we've got more music coming out with them. It, it's, it's all, it's all about that kind of relationship you build over every release. And thanks for opening the door, Al, right? Yeah, thanks for opening the door, Al, and Steph. But, like, it's, it's um, grown in a way that maybe some of the other artists on those labels haven't quite... So we, we always push the boat out. We always go the extra mile. Can we do a guest mix for you? Can we do a Spotify playlist? Mm. Can we come play your next party if there's one? That that's important. Create the relationship with those people that show yeah. love to you, you know, and and that's where we're at, um, label wise, yeah. anyway. Great. Well, look, I want to kind of wrap this up, guys, because you know you've you've very kindly given us a lot of your time already. But just let's look forward beyond COVID. Hopefully, you know, rather than kind of the immediate future. But what what is kind of on the horizon for for you guys? Start with the Tough Love Boys. What's next there? Uh, Mate, it's it's a, it's, a, it's an open book at the minute. We're just gonna ride the wave <laughs> and see what happens. Like, I, I come think, on, boys, give us some spoilers. Obviously, after COVID, I think everything's going to be a little bit more small scale. I quite like the idea of that, though. I think small scale parties and gatherings are, are, are amazing, and you get, I suppose, you get a real crowd in them environments because they're there for the music. They're not like yeah, the mass yeah. kind of population people. I think that some of the best best parties we've done have always been small scale parties. So I suppose that's that'll probably be the first step. And just all this new music we got coming, really, just promoting. He's organising something. You can tell. He's organising something. Always plotting something. We are. We are always plotting something. We're always looking. We're always looking and seeing and seeing what the the trends in and seeing what what's. Uh, What's coming? I think we've been we've been ahead of the curve probably a few times musically. I think some of our old music is more relevant now than it was when it came out. So hopefully we'll we'll catch Class. up again at the right time, and uh, and the music and and everything will just do do it do what it needs to do organically. Yeah. We're still releasing during COVID as well. Like we're not we haven't stopped. It's just no. maybe a slight shift and restructure and what tracks come out maybe slightly mm. less. Probably were orientated, so sure. Yeah, we've got a release on Tool Room in three weeks, um, and straight after that, we've got a single on Good Company, 
Um, and then another single one, Repopulate Mars. And then we've got like, a, bit, a bit of a piano weapon for coming on CR2, but now it's just kind of, that would be a June, July, Ibiza anthem, and it's kind of like, you know, do you want to drop it? Wait. Those are the conversations we're having now. Yeah. Of like to hold this back now and, and just wait, and loads more to come. Yeah. Um, just figuring out what's next. Nice, exciting times though. You know, you kind of, yeah, there's, definitely. There's always sure. opportunity with these with these shakeups and, and changes. Um, what about you, Tutopia boys? Yeah, well, what Steph said, really, like smaller parties. I think that's going to really help us in a way because I do think you know we're sort of on a a niche sound um in london but you know we, since we've been doing the live streams and stuff like that because of covid's come about you know we're getting inundated on like the following and support just off our i know we had a release last was it this friday um yeah. but i can't see that just opened up like, i think it's been the streams over the last couple of 100%. weeks what we've been doing so and hopefully so I think we can spill that into done, a nightmares yeah. party 100%. So we've already started capital. to kind of start, we've started to plan those once we, once all of this is over, going back to the smaller parties, we're going to be throwing yeah. some really like different kind of parties in, yeah, some some unusual places. Um, Brooklyn Brewery, I think. Brooklyn Brewery, yeah. We're going to, we're going to be doing it with those nice. guys. Nice. Um, and nice. pull it in pr- probably messy again. Um, to to do the live streams because they're they're wicked and they they fully support us as well uh, over the last mm. few years with the streams. Um, other than that, yeah, we've got some releases coming. Um, Will you one on strictly rhythm in a couple of weeks? <laughs> well, look, guys, uh, let's let's wrap it up there. Thank you so much for all uh, coming on and having a natter. And um, love it. Cheers, ben. Much, cheers ben. ben. Oh, Ben, I was going to say, is is there any chance you can just leave and keep the stream up for us, boys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right, I'll, I'll just leave you to it. I'll leave you. Right, see you later, guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cheers, Ben. Cheers. Two, two, two weeks, Ben. Ben, yeah, two weeks. Cheers, Ben. Yeah, don't get the guitar out. Ready?